You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. what repentance means. You were going this way and you did a 180 and now you're going this way. And it was age 19 and I repented. And that's what made the difference. And now putting your life on the line and willing to suffer, whatever it means, that's, that's when you're not only saved, but that's how you continue to walk with Jesus. What does it mean to be repentant? In today's message from Pastor Danny, he explains to you the meaning of repentance. Repentance means to turn from the sinful way in which you were going and turn back to following Jesus. It's about making <clears throat> it's making an about face from the darkness back to the light. Pastor Danny encourages you that repentance is such a great and healing thing. It's coming back to the Lord whose arms are outstretched for you. It's coming into the healing and wholeness that the Lord has for you. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. To every nation for all generations Together in love We'll move mountains by faith Until all have tasted, seen and heard The power of the living We all had to deal with this and still do. It starts early in life. You know what it is? Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. But that's after becoming a Christian. There's a fear of ridicule and rejection even before you come to Christ. Started for me as a young boy. I've done a lot of things over the years to try to fit in. Come on now. Come on now. Can I get a witness? Come on. We all fear it. It's a natural thing. It starts when you're young. And it doesn't end when you're old. I want to f- be accepted. I don't go around looking for ridicule and rejection because I'm a Christian. Who does that? You're weird if you do that. You're weird. I'm not going to hang out with you. Fear of threats. Threats. Isaiah. The context of Isaiah That statement, don't fear what they fear. I mean, over and over again, they had these enemy armies coming against them. Ultimately from the hand of God because they kept going back into idolatry. Every now and then you get a king like Hezekiah uh, who would go to God and say, God, we can't stand against this innumerable army, but Lord, we're, we're, we're focusing on you. We're depending on you. And by faith, they would pray and they would stand in faith. And God, if you read some of those stories, God would defeat tremendous armies because they responded in faith. Asa, one of the good kings, he did that. And God gave great victory over this army. 
And then years later, same king, but years later, another army comes against him, but this time he doesn't do what he had done years before. He's backslidden, if you will. He's not walking in faith. And he makes a treaty with another foreign country, nation, in order to divert the enemy that's coming against them. God sends a prophet to Asa and rebukes him, but he doesn't receive it. He gets angry, has the prophet thrown in jail. And what was the motivation? It was fear. And it was, the enemy wasn't even there physically. The enemy was just threatening. We are going to come, and you, you are doomed. And sometimes just the fear of the threat. Hey, we don't have to deal with it a lot in America, but it still happens sometimes. It still happens sometimes. You understand the early church, people like Peter who, who wrote this. You read the, the book of Acts. You realize what these early Christians had to deal with. I mean, they're beating them. They're throwing them in jail, prison. And there are places in the world right now, right now, where if you name the name of Jesus Christ and you're really worth your salt as a Christian, you're going to suffer physically. Right now, there are Christians suffering as we sit here in a church service in other countries in the world for their faith. But let me tell you something, it's worth it. Whatever you got to go through, whatever you got to go through. And then there's this fear, and it's a very real one, the fear of death. Why do we fear death? Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has set eternity in our heart. We know that when we die, it's not the end. And if you have not secured a Savior, and there's only one, and his name is Jesus, you're not ready to die. You don't want to die. Because you die without a Savior, that's it. There is no purgatory. There is nobody that can pray you out of some place. That's not in the Bible. Nowhere. Nowhere. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You won't have a second chance. That's it. That's why Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, which is interesting. Some people think, you know, they're just going to be spirits in hell. No, they're going to have a body. Just like I'm going to have a new body, only I'm going to live in glory. First martyr of the early church, a man named Stephen. If you'd like to, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. And I'm so, oh, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. <laughs> but I don't want to die. <laughs> I know where I'm headed. I just don't want, I'm not, con I'm concerned about the process. That's all. I want to go to sleep and I want to wake up in glory. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Stephen chapter 6 of Acts, verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they couldn't stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. And then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's the Supreme Court. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. I love this next statement. 
All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let me tell you what the message was on his face. In spite of what I'm having to suffer, I have hope. I have hope. That's what Peter says. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Stephen, here he is glowing despite the opposition that he's facing. Well, chapter 7 is a spirit-inspired, blistering message by Stephen to his audience. They don't receive it well. His conclusion is not a poem. It's not a warm fuzzy. Verse 51 of chapter 7, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. And when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They're mad. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's where his focus was. And if I'm going to make it through suffering, that's where my focus better be and your focus better be. Otherwise, you cave in. Otherwise, you give in to fear. He looks up to heaven. That's where his home is. And he sees Jesus. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm coming home. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, listen to what he said. Do not hold this sin against them. I had to blow their minds. They don't understand people like that. Here he is, his face is glowing. His focus is on heaven. And as he's being pelted, he repays evil with good. He prays for him. Don't hold this sin against him. There's somebody who knew Jesus. Lord, help me to be like him. Help us to be like him. Well, back in 1 Peter, very interesting section here. You don't want to miss this. Verse 19 Verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Through whom, the Spirit, also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, 
not the physical baptism, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God by faith in Jesus Christ. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Interesting section. Telling us that Jesus, after he died on the cross, went to Sheol. He went to the grave. Now, we have more than one verse that tells us that. We know that happened. He went by the Spirit, his Spirit, and he went to Sheol. He went to the grave. And he preached. He preached to the spirits who disobeyed long ago in the days of Noah. Are these angels? I don't think so. We're studying Zechariah on Wednesday night. This past Wednesday night, I had the privilege of teaching Zechariah 12 and 13. Zechariah 12, verse 1, opens this way. Uh, God claiming himself as the one who does certain things. And one of the things it says that he does is he forms the spirit of man within him. You match up a New Testament verse like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, where it encourages us to submit to the father of our spirits. Let me clue you in on something. You're a spirit. I'm a spirit. We live in a body and we possess a soul. We're a trichotomy. That's one of the ways we're made in the image of God. He's a trichotomy. We're a trichotomy. We're body, soul, and spirit. When my body dies, your body dies, you're going to live on. Because we're spirit beings. I don't know if you realize that, but that's true. That's what the Bible says. And the spirits, I think very clearly that Jesus preached to that disobeyed long ago were all those people that for 120 years heard Noah preaching. Now, we aren't told what Jesus preached. I don't even know why you have a need to preach to somebody who's already dead and gone and in hell, in Sheol. We know that there were two compartments in Sheol. Jesus confirmed this in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man, he dies, he wakes up in Sheol, he's tormented in the flames. We call it hell. And it is hell. Lazarus, a beggar that had been laid at this rich man's gate daily, but the rich man paid no attention to him because the rich man wasn't saved. He's living for self. He's just living for this life. So he dies. He wakes up in, in flames in Sheol. Well, Lazarus, the beggar dies, but he died in faith, despite the fact that he was a beggar in this life. And he wakes up in a place called Abraham's bosom, but it's still Sheol. So there were two compartments. Jesus confirmed this. Why did they have to go to Abraham's bosom? Because the sacrifice for sin had never been offered that was sufficient. Blood, bulls and goats and sheep and all that could never take away man's sin. It was never sufficient. So Messiah, Jesus had to come. And once Jesus died on the cross, Psalm 68 was fulfilled. A verse in there, prophetic about the Messiah when he comes. He will lead captives in his train. And Ephesians tells us that he descended... Jesus did to the lower earthly regions. He descended into Sheol. And we know one of the things he did is he emptied out Abraham's bosom. That's why Paul says now for the believer, no temporary comfort place in Sheol. Now, because the sacrifice is sufficient, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord for that? But now listen, there's still Sheol where it's hell. There's flames. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. I don't know what he preached. doesn't tell us what he preached, but it says he preached to the spirits as, that were there in the days of Noah that disobeyed. They didn't listen. 120 years, Noah is preaching. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. 
You need to repent. And if you'll repent, God has provision. And Noah's instructed to build this big ship, the ark. The ark is Christ. He's the ark. And when the judgment falls, if you're in Christ, you rise above the water of judgment. You're saved. But don't miss what Peter's telling us here. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit is saying through Peter. Through whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Patiently. While the ark was being built. In it, the ark, only a few people. Eight people. That's depressing. That's sad. Because God wanted everybody in the ark. Just like he still wants everybody in the ark. But for 120 years, the majority of those people did not listen and never repented. And now they're in hell forever. Until, of course, Jesus comes and at the end, they'll be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. You think the first one's bad. Here's the way I summarize that last section we just read. Expect to live in this present world as a minority. Fascinating what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and also depressing. Matthew chapter 24, let me read it for you. Verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And this next statement just moves me every time I read it. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. What do you mean they knew nothing of what was coming? Noah's been warning them for 120 years. How many years have you been warned? You're being warned again today. You know that, right? As you sit here right now listening to someone like me share the word of God, you're being warned again. And if you have not repented and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you die today, you die without a Savior, you will spend eternity damned. May I beg you, may I beg you with everything within me, don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Here's what Jesus said. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few find it, not because it's hard to find. It's the narrow road. It's the one where it's Jesus and Jesus only. He's the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's not Jesus and Muhammad. It's not Jesus and the Mormon Jesus. It's not Jesus and the Jehovah's Witness Jesus. It's Jesus, God, very God, come in the flesh, who died on the cross for you and for me and for the whole world. And if you'll believe and you'll repent and you'll receive him as Lord and Savior, he'll save you. He'll save you. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. You got me all worked up today, don't you? Well, we got one more section, 1 Peter, just the first part of chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now stop there just for a second. 
One commentator, it was actually John MacArthur. I respect John MacArthur. I so respect him. But he suggested that what's being referred to here is if you come to the point where you suffer like Jesus did and you die for your faith, you die, you don't have to struggle with sin anymore. Now, obviously, that's true. That is true. But John MacArthur, as smart as he is, I don't think that's what that statement means. Because you read on, listen to what it says, verse 2. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life. He's not physically dead yet. For evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans, unbelievers, choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. That's an interesting way of saying it. All he's saying is, they think it's strange that you don't do the same things you used to. You don't hang out with the same crowd and do the same things. And they heap abuse on you. That's true, because that's what happened to me when I gave my life to Christ. Started with my own best friend, Tommy McDaniel. He couldn't wrap his mind around how I now had fun other than just playing sports. We'd still play sports together. But he'd invite me to go back to the bar or go pick up some chicks, and I would say, Tommy, I don't do that anymore. And he'd be like, what in the world do you do for fun? He just couldn't understand. But they will have to give account to him who was ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Let me tell you what he's saying there. I got to persevere in putting my attitude, the attitude Jesus had. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because he who has suffered is done with sin. Doesn't mean you're physically dead. It doesn't mean you're sinless. What does it mean? It means simply this. You will no longer be wishy-washy. You will no longer be lukewarm. You'll no longer be that. I made several commitments to Jesus over the years. I remember as a five-year-old boy praying and asking Jesus to forgive me of my sin, come into my heart. I may get to heaven and, and Jesus go, yeah, you were saved at age five, but 19 years old is when the change took place. That's all I can tell you. I'd be out even after I became a drug addict before 19 years old, I became a drug addict before I became a Christian. And uh, I'd be out, I'd be high, drunk, or a combination of the two. And the Holy Spirit would convict me. I would leave the crowd. I would leave the party. I'd get alone somewhere. I'd be weeping, and I'd ask God to forgive me. I'd ask Jesus to come into my life. And the next day, I'd be back with the same crowd doing the same things. Why? Because I didn't come to the point until I was 19 that I said, that's it. That's it. No matter what it costs me, it can cost me my friends. It can cost me the sinful pleasures I've been enjoying. It can cost me the drugs. It can cost me the drink. It can cost me everything. But Jesus, I give you my life. And I determined, I determined. I repented. I repented. Listen, here's what simply repentance is. Here's what repentance means. You were going this way, and you did a 180. And now you're going this way. And it was age 19 that I repented. And that's what made the difference. And now, 
putting your life on the line and willing to suffer, whatever it means, that's, that's when you're not only saved, but that's how you continue to walk with Jesus. Today on The Living Word, Pastor Danny Hodges has been teaching through a series in the book of 1 Peter. It's easy for people to say that God is good when things are going well, but what about when things are really hard and your faith is being tested like never before? Are you still able to say God is good? Well, in the book of 1 Peter, you get to hear the right perspective about suffering, even when it's unfair. God sees you and he knows what you're going through. Peter himself was a prime example of suffering much for Christ, but he knew that it was worthwhile because he watched Jesus' example firsthand. Are you in a state of suffering for Christ today? Look up and be reminded that God isn't surprised by it, but he's also not reveling in your suffering either. He's there to comfort you through your trials. We encourage you to keep tuning into this series, learning and growing from the truths revealed from the word. Before we go, we wanted to mention that if you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you come join us for our weekend services. We have a Saturday service at 6 p.m. and two on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Just go to our website at ccfstpete.church to get directions and more information. Thanks again for joining us today. We trust that you'll be eager to learn more from the book of 1 Peter here on The Living Word.